It'll also be on the screen, but it'll be nice to have your Bible open as we'll reference it and then maybe look at some other texts as well. Um, And before we start, I just wanted to say this. I was thinking about this while we were singing together. and You know, when when I mentioned the World Cup earlier, I wasn't just sort of saying it. I actually really, really love sports. And, and it's one of those things where actually, if I'm honest, I wish I liked them less. Um, because I've, 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 I've sat before and yelled at a television when, when it has no income on anything whatsoever. And, and I was thinking about missing the World Cup final and just thinking, oh, I'm so annoyed. Or, oh, I wish, I, I wish it was just an hour later. Um, but I want you to know as well that when I say... I'm happy to be worshiping with you all. I am. Um, you know, I am so happy to be here and was thinking about this sermon and, and uh, this passage we're going to study and just thought, who cares about a soccer game? You know, I do. <laughs> but, but really, God just sort of said, Sam, just, just keep it in perspective. You know, you can go watch a portion of it later, and it'll be just as good. Um. And so tonight we will begin by reading Matthew chapter 16, verse 20 to 21, uh, 20 to 21, 21 to 28, excuse me. Uh, And and we're going to talk about some of the teachings of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So starting uh, in verse 21, it'll be on your screen, as I said, but also in the text in front of you, if you like. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. And suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law. And that he must be killed, and on the third day raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord. He said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. And then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his Father's glory with the angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. I tell you the truth. Some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This, too, is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, last week we talked about the the woman who empties out the, the... jar of perfume and oil at the feet of Jesus and, 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 and begs uh, and worships Jesus. And, and in, the, in, the, in the midst of Pharisees and all the things happening, Jesus forgives this sinful woman. And tonight what we're going to talk about is if we sort of put ourselves in that position. Here this woman was. She accepted forgiveness. She, she fell at the feet of Jesus. And, and, and Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. But she had to get up and leave. <laughs> At the end of the night, she had to go home. She had to go and live whatever life she had and had to figure out how to change. And tonight, what I want to talk about with us is what happens after that. Let's remind ourselves some of the teachings of Jesus that, yes, we can go to him for forgiveness, and yes, we can go and run to his feet to be forgiven of our sins, but then what do we do next? 
You know, and in verse 21 of our text tonight, Jesus starts by telling his disciples here that that he needs to leave them, that he will go and suffer many things at the hands of the Pharisees. And now you think about this, and you've been following this guy for some time. You've been following him around. You've seen the things he can do, he has done. And you think, why in the world would you do this, Jesus? Like, if you know this is going to happen, just stop it. You know, just just don't go back to Jerusalem. If they don't like you there, go somewhere else. You know, and Peter, Peter is this guy that we all sort of want to be like. In verse 22, he takes him aside and says, don't, Lord, don't do it. Now, this is never, this is never going to happen to you. I won't let it. And then in verse 23, Jesus' response is a line that many of us have heard before. And I, I don't know what I would do if Jesus looked me in the eye and said, get behind me, Satan. But it probably has something to do with falling on the ground and crying. You know, and if you're not aware, the reason I wanted you to have your Bibles open is you can actually, if you look, the passage just before it, it's like Simon Peter's, one of his crowning achievements in Jesus' ministry. When Jesus asked his disciples, hey, who, who, does, who do people think I am? Who do, who do you guys think I am? Simon Peter says, hey, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, yes, you get it. Blessed are you, Simon Peter, and on you I'm going to build my church. You are my rock. You're my guy. (laughs) In the very next paragraph, he says to him, get behind me, Satan. I mean, if there's no more, like, clear uh, picture of, of the human condition than this, that we as human beings can one moment be loving and praising God and thinking, yes, Lord, your name be ever be on my lips, and then in the next moment we're doing something where Jesus is just like, what are you thinking? How could you do that? And it makes sense to me, though. You know, what Simon Peter's response is makes sense to me because this isn't what he's imagined for his God. He's given his very life to this man. He says, I'm not going to let that happen. You know, and we look at this and we wonder, why would Jesus be so harsh? Like, why not just sort of correct him? Why not just sort of, you know, hey, that's a bad idea. It really has to happen this way, not this way. You know, but Jesus says something to him that really lets us know why he was so severe. You know, have you ever really known you had to do something? Like, really known you had to do it, and you, God put something on your heart, and you said, this is it. I have to do this. Maybe it was when you, if you're not from here, maybe when you came to Switzerland, and you said, I feel like God is calling me to this. Or maybe you, you stepped out and did something that other people thought were crazy, and one of your friends that maybe was a Christian, that maybe knew you well, that loved you dearly, said, are you sure you want to do this? There's got to be an easier way. Are you sure this is the right thing for you? Maybe you're wrong. And Jesus says, you are a stumbling block to me. See, Jesus knew what he had to do. Jesus knew that this was the way it had to be. Jesus knew that he had to lay his life down. And Peter, Simon Peter, in his best attempt to help, tried to stop him. And Jesus said, no, it can't be this way. You know, and maybe in that instance when you did something difficult or something that no one else understood, you felt the same way. You're like, no, I know I have to do it. I'm sorry. Like, I just can't, I can't do what's easy. 
And also, I just want to mention this, just ideologically, when you think about your life and day-to-day living, when Jesus is faced with temptation, what does he do here? When he is faced with a stumbling block, what does he say? He doesn't do it gently. This is why Jesus doesn't gently reprimand Peter. He says, no, you are wrong. Get behind me, Satan. When you are faced with temptation, when you are faced with sin, when you are faced with an opportunity or a choice that you know is not from God, that is the proper response. No. Do not give in. You know, many of you know I'm a huge Lord of the Rings nerd. And and one of my favorite things when I think about this is even when someone that we love and and trust uh, might give us an option of something that we know is wrong, I always think of the beginning of the first movie or, or book, if you've seen them or read them, when Frodo offers Gandalf the ring and says, well, I don't want it, you take it. And he gets big and scary. He's like, don't offer me this because it would be really bad. And I think about Jesus saying this to Peter, and I sort of think of it in the same way. Hopefully it doesn't trivialize it too much, but I think Jesus said, no, I have to do this. I know you don't understand, but trust me, I have to do this. Don't get in the way And sometimes we as Christians, when we know if there is something we need to be doing, when God has put something on our heart, we need to be adamant and say, no, it has to be this way. Because the reason Peter missed, the reason Peter, even though his best interests for Jesus were there, is he says, Jesus explains it in verse 23, he says, you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Another translation says, you do not have on your mind the things of heaven, but the things of this world. So my question to you is this. When you think about facing what God has for you, when you think about leaving that house, leaving the feet of Jesus and going and living life, are you focused on the heavenly things? Are you focused on the godly things or the things of men? Because then Jesus goes on, and in case we were confused, he makes it very, very clear that we must, in verse 24, deny ourselves if we follow him. If we run to his feet and accept the forgiveness of the cross like this woman did that we talked about last week, then one of the things that comes with that is denying yourself, taking up your cross, which, by the way, means death, and follow him. You know, Colossians chapter 3 says that we ought to put to death each day our old self. We ought to put it to death. (laughs) Again, I say this all the time. Whenever people say Jesus was just a nice guy who talked about love, I don't think they've read the Bible. Jesus is saying that old life that defined you before you knew him, that you ought to put it to death. That you ought to kill it. Because in verse 25, he gives us even more reason why. Whatever, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for him or for Jesus will gain it. This paradoxical truth Jesus always talks about, this upside-down kingdom where the last will be first and, and all of these things. See, to be a follower of Jesus is to live in this place of the already but not yet to put others first, to to not lift ourselves up, but to lift up our neighbor, which is so weird to this world. You know, think about this very practically. 
Think about your day and think about your day and how you go and get to work, how you go and get to school and how you go and live your life. Just try practically, and I've tried to do this before and it drives me crazy, so I'm going to share it with you. Put others first in your day and do it this way. Just try it sometime. Instead of first thing in the morning trying to get onto the tram or the train first to get you a seat, just stand aside and let everyone go in front of you. And, and then, when, you know, later on, when you're at work or when you're you know, rushing to get somewhere or trying to get somewhere else, always let others go in front of you. Put a smile on your face and, and let everyone go in in front of you and let everyone have that perfect seat that where you could sit by yourself and a weird person wouldn't sit next to you. You know? And at work, when you know the answer and someone else is wrong, instead of speaking up, just sit back and wait and listen. Don't be so adamant. Don't, be, don't bulldoze people. Ask questions. You know, whatever it is in your life, if you think about spending your whole day just putting other people first, even circumstantially, in small circumstantial areas, it's hard. But it's a simple thing I've actually started to try to do. And I know I should probably be better at it as a pastor. But it's something I've tried to do just to get me in this mindset because I realize I'm not great at it. I realize I can be selfish. I realize that sometimes, probably far too often, I'm relying on my own strength to get me through the day. And Jesus says, listen, Sam, even though you're a pastor, you have to take up your cross daily and follow me. You have to live your life for other people daily and follow me. And when I know that Jesus is calling me to do something and someone says, oh, Sam, here's an easier option. Oh, Sam, here's something you can do that's easier. Jesus says, no, that's not my way. That's the world's way. Because verse 26, it costs us something. The going the easy way, doing the easy thing costs us our soul. (laughs) Again, Jesus, not just a hippie teacher teaching love, he says that if you live with the world in mind and with men's concern in mind, it will cost you your very soul. And what can a man give in exchange for his soul? And the crazy thing to me is I read this, and I think that people actually choose this. People actually voluntarily give up their soul for momentary pleasures, and they say, I don't care about eternity. I don't care if there's a God. I'm going to do everything I can now to get mine. Not knowing that God is sitting there that has so much more planned for them. You know, C.S. Lewis talks about this if you've read the essay, The Weight of Glory, saying that we are far too easily pleased as human beings. You know, this world just trusts in wealth and power and pride and control and sex, whatever it is. It's this short-sighted, childish mentality that thinks I can get what I want now and the rest does not matter. And this is nothing new. Almost a hundred years ago, there was a guy named G.K. Chesterton who used to write essays. And he wrote and he said, a great deal of the current cult of pleasure, of luxury, of liberty and love, and all the rest of it, appears to me to be perfectly childish. And it's childish in the literal sense that it is greedy without any grasp of consequence. 
When we focus on the world, when we focus on how the world sees things, we are living a childish, greedy lifestyle where we think there are no consequences. But Jesus was clear. He says, when we focus on the world, we're giving up our very souls. And the reason this is such a big deal is verse 27 and 28. For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and he will reward each person according to what he has done. And I tell you the truth. Some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom, the Son of Man coming into his kingdom. Talking about his resurrection and the things that were to come. But he says, listen. Jesus is going to come back. And when Jesus comes back, we're going to wish, we're going to hope that we've kept our souls. We're going to hope that we have kept his things in mind and not our things in mind. And so it makes sense why the teaching of Jesus was so strong to Peter to rebuke him for trying to stop the cross and saying, no, this has to be this way. In which we know that Peter, in all of his wonderful, glorious attitude problems he has, he still tries to do this. Cuts off a guy's ear, and then Jesus does one of the coolest miracles, I think, in the Bible. He heals this guy's ear right in front of everyone. For us today, let's just think about what this means for you and me. We can't stop the cross like Peter was trying to do. Right? We can't stop Jesus. He's already done it. It happened a long time ago. So what are the things we actually are trying to stop? What are the things we sort of get in the way with Jesus for? What are the things in your life that are keeping you from thinking of the godly things he desires? Well, the first one seems pretty clear. I think one of our biggest problems in life today is that we desire control and power way too much. We desire to control our lives. We don't want to trust Jesus And once we get to the feet of Jesus and find this forgiveness and salvation, our power must come from him and not from ourselves. You know, in 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul writes, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in my weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. We must first realize as Christians, as brothers and sisters in Christ, that all of our power, all of our ability to do things comes from God. And it's nothing new. Even if you rest on your education and your strength for your job and your education, Deuteronomy tells us that even our wealth, he says, do not even think that you have become wealthy because of your own hard work, but that God has given you the wealth you have. And the second thing we must never forget, after we remember that we must give control to God, is that we must move forward with Jesus in whatever he calls us to. That we get behind Jesus each day as he leads us in the way. Because if we go out in front of Jesus and try to stop what he's doing, or try to tell Jesus that we have a better plan of what he's doing, we'll end up like Peter. Now, Peter's great. Peter had a lot of strengths, but he also had a lot of weaknesses. And when Jesus says this, that you must take up your cross and follow me, we need to be reminded, as I said, for me, I do this daily. You know, last week we talked about forgiveness and how in the Lord's Prayer, we pray for forgiveness all the time. And sometimes we don't actually put that into practice. Lord, help me forgive those who sinned against me as I, or forgive me of my sins as I forgive those who sin against me. 
There's another great part of the Lord's Prayer that lays this out perfectly. Give us this day our daily bread and lead us not into temptation. Each day we go and we get in line. I love the imagery he says, must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. It's like, imagine yourself saying, waking up first thing in the morning and thinking, okay, here's my plan for the day. And then instead of running off and doing what you want to do, you stop. You say, no. Lord, give me today my daily bread. And we go, we grab our cross, and we walk off and follow Jesus. We also should go to the Lord for our daily bread, not just on Sundays. We should go to the Lord for our daily bread in Scripture, in prayer, in fellowship, in all we do. You know, tonight, as we close up here and as we think about this text and what God may be calling you to do, I want you to think about these things. Is there something, whether it's pride, whether it's control, that is keeping you from following Jesus each day? Maybe you just need to shore up some of the issues in life and that you need to stop relying on yourself. Maybe there's something very, very specific. Maybe there's something that is keeping you from following Jesus and you don't even know what's keeping you from following Jesus. But life, let me tell you, and many of us know this, that life is hard enough that we don't need to make it any harder. You know, and the world has decided to turn to fleeting pleasure. The world has decided to turn to instant gratification and things that make us feel good here and now. But we know that that is temporal. And that Jesus Christ calls us to take up our cross and follow him that we would not lose our very souls. Because I'll be the first one to say, if there was no Jesus, then we should all eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But I can't get over this book, and I can't get over the people I've seen go before me who also believed in this book, leading all the way back to the disciples who witnessed it and were willing to die for it. And I believe there is a Christ, that there was a cross, and I believe there's a God in heaven who loves me and wants me to be free from these sins that are holding me back from following him. Last week we talked about this woman being forgiven at the feet of Jesus. But when we leave the feet of Jesus, if our focus is not on heavenly things and godly things, we miss out on so much of what God has for us. You know, I mentioned C.S. Lewis. I promise I read other people. Um, But he's so good at explaining this. And in his book, The Great Divorce, um, I have it with me if you want to see it or whatever, if you've never read it. It's a book, it's, it's, an, it's an allegory about heaven. And there's all of these people who are sort of trying to get into heaven. And they go around and they're talking to people and they're trying to figure out how to get there, basically. And there's this great story in it. It's one of my favorite things he ever wrote about a guy who's trying to inquiring to get into heaven, but he's got a little red lizard on his shoulder. And the little red lizard always talks to him and tells him that he's bad and that there's, you know, God doesn't love him and he's not good enough. And so he's sort of milling around, and an angel actually comes out to talk to him. And the angel goes and says to him and says, well, would you like to come to heaven? And the man says, well, yes, I would, but, you know, I have this lizard, and I know he's not allowed inside, and I'm sort of trying to figure this all out right now. And the angel says, well, I can take care of that for you if you want. And he says, really? That'd be great? Yeah, let's do that. And he says, okay, can I kill it? And the guy freaks out and says, well, no, you... 
I didn't, I didn't know you wanted to kill it. I thought you just were going to help me. You're kind of quieted or sort of, you know, maybe a long-term solution, you know, that we could work this out. And he says, no, I need to kill it. And the guy says, well, I'm not really ready for that. I don't really, uh, um, I'm not, I don't know, you know, maybe I'll just go, I'll just going to go and I'll come back another time. And maybe, maybe then we can work it out. And the angel says, no, there is no other time, but I can kill it for you right now. And the guy says, no, you don't understand, you know, I'm just not ready, I, I, just, I just, I'm not ready for major surgery, you know, this thing's really important to me, and it's been here forever, and, but, and it goes on and on and on, and then finally, the lizard speaks up and starts yelling at him and telling him he needs to leave and get out of there, this guy wants to kill him, and that they can't be separated, and all of these lies, and finally, the angel says, with his hands wrapped around it, he says, can I kill it, it's the only way. And the man says, fine, kill it and kill me too. And so he grabs it and he says he kills it and he throws it to the ground. And the man falls to the ground in pain. And then, almost as soon as it happened, the, the, the little diminutive ghostly man that was trying to get into heaven becomes a strong, robust, tall, gleaming man. And the little red lizard that was laying there dead on the grass starts to be reformed into a giant stallion. And the man gets on the lizard and rides into heaven with the angel, praising God. And the story tells about the narrator and this guy viewing all these things. says, do you understand what just happened? And basically what Lewis says is this. That we hang on to these things in our life that are keeping us from the glories God has for us for no reason. We think we can do it on our own. We think, no, just give me time. I'm in process. I'm working on it. And God just says, no, you need to kill it. And we think, no, this is just something. I can figure it. I can get this under control. No, trust me, I'll do it. I'll do it. And God says, no, you need to kill it. We say, no, it's going to hurt. I don't want to do it. I'm not ready to give that up. I'm not ready to confess that. I just, and God says, no, there's only one way you have to kill it. And if we give those things to God, it may hurt, but it will save us. See, in the story, the lizard was keeping the man from understanding the heavenly things that God intended for him. In the same way Peter could not understand heaven until these things went happen, this lizard was keeping this man from understanding the heavenly things intended for him. And even though the cross is over and Jesus has already given his life to the cross, we may not try to stop the cross like Peter did. But the things you do not kill in your life, the things you allow to live in your life and fester in your life, are the things that are keeping you from seeing the heavenly things in this world. Our sin and our desire for control and our desire for power can keep us from dwelling on the heavenly things. Just like Peter. Sisters and brothers, we are denied, or we are called to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him in all he does. And our Lord went to death on a cross that we might live. And so we too offer up ourselves to others that they might know and that they would live. So maybe it's sin. 
that's keeping you from seeing more heavenly things on this earth. Maybe it's unbelief. Maybe there's a major area of unbelief in your life that keeps you from seeing heavenly things. Maybe it's like we talked about last week with forgiveness, a relationship, or something that needs forgiveness. The cost of forgiveness is putting to death the things that we once wanted more than Jesus. The cost of forgiveness is giving up all we once coveted and following Christ and Christ alone. Are we willing to put our plans and our desires to death? We know Jesus has forgiven us, and that's awesome. And if you don't know, Jesus has forgiven you, and it's great. But once we leave that house, once we go and live life, are you willing? God is there asking, can I kill that for you? Let me kill that for you. You say, it's going to hurt, though. Yeah, it's going to hurt. But it will lead to life. God is there asking, may I kill it? Let's pray together. Lord, I come before you now thanking you. Lord, I think about my own life and my own story. And you know, you know the things you've had to lead me to. Lord, we all know the sin you have saved us from, and we all know the things that we still struggle with. Father, I pray that we would have the courage to give you control. Lord, that like Simon Peter, we would not focus on the earthly things, God, but on the heavenly things. And that we run to you each day for our daily bread, Lord, that we take up our cross and we follow you as best we can and we get rid of all of the junk that keeps us from that. Lord, we desire to be women and men who shine your light into this world, Father, to live righteous, upright lives, that lead people to the truth that we have found. Lord, thank you for the freedom you have given us through the cross. Thank you for the freedom to come to you with all of our sins and leave them at the cross, Father. And I pray that if there is a person here tonight who is plagued by sin, who is plagued by unbelief, Father, that you would free them through the power of your Holy Spirit to give it to you. Father, let us be free together. Let us worship freely together. Let us live and serve our brothers and sisters in the city of Zurich together. Lord, we love you. And we give you this time of worship. Would you fill us with your spirit that we would give it to all we meet. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.